Here in Orlando, Florida, O-Town Compost is leading the composting revolution, recycling organic waste into a nutrient-rich resource. Join Charlie Pioli, founder of O-Town Compost, as we hear from the nation's leading voices behind the grassroots community composting movement. Welcome to the Community Composting Podcast. Please rate and review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to. If you feel like this is good content and you're learning a lot about composting. Hi, welcome to episode number 13 of the Community Composting Podcast. Here I have Lisa Dotterty. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, with Juno Compost in Alaska. Uh, Lisa and her uh, operation, Juno Compost, have diverted, you know, over 520,000 pounds of food scraps. And most importantly, they're in Juneau, Alaska, which is a very harsh climate to be a, a community composter. And I'd love to, you know, kind of dig into that, Lisa, and figure out why did you start your operation? What is your genesis story? Um, hi, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, well, basically, um, when I bought a house, I just didn't want to sign up for trash service and thought, okay, well, I'm just going to build a compost bin. And I built a compost bin and and everybody here, even the master gardeners were saying you couldn't hot compost in Juneau and um, because of our climate and because of bears. And so I thought that didn't sound right. And so um, I did the Master Gardeners program and you have to do a 40 hour community service project. And so rather than just weeding in a community plot, I decided to set up a pilot program to prove that hot composting and composting on a large scale could happen here. And so I just kind of designed a mini pilot program. It was 20 households and a couple of businesses. And I picked up from them once a week in my Subaru and processed it in compost bins I'd made out of pallets in my yard. And after six months, I was like, wow, it works. And I didn't have a single bear and I got hot temperatures, even though we live in a rainforest where it's basically 40 to 50 degrees year round. Um, and I kind of uh, just left it there because I was a little burnt out, I was, had a young son. And um, so I let several years pass and then I decided I did that, you know what, our city has been talking about composting for two decades now and they haven't done anything. So I'm going to do it. Wow, that's, that's amazing to hear like you getting that kind of motivation to do that. And I think that's a common myth that I bust um, when I'm talking to just backyard composters is that your pile needs to be in the sun. It needs to like get as mu much heat from that ambient environment as possible and that's simply not true like the heat from the compost comes from the microorganisms and the bacteria it has nothing to do with the surrounding temperatures so yeah that's like a super common myth and and what i like to tell people is you know if you're striving for hot composting you know over a 130 degrees you know if you put your food scraps in the oven at 140 degrees like does compost come out like it's, yeah. it's not the temperature that makes the composting happen. It's just the composting happening creates heat. And, and a lot of people, that's hard for them to understand. Yeah, I think because microorganisms are invisible, um, you know, I think, yeah, it is hard for people to understand. But 
I want to just talk about your pilot program that you bootstrapped with, you said 20 individuals and a couple yeah. businesses. How did you put that together and, you know, sell it to these people? Well, I, I just, there was like a craft fair at um, a little mall. And so I just had a table that said, do you eat? And, um, and people stopped by and I said, oh, well, um, do you want to be part of our free program? And so I limited it to people who live. So Juno, Juno's kind of unique in that there's only one town here. You can't drive to another town. It, we're surrounded by steep mountains and ocean. And so it's just Juno is Juno. But there is um, an island, Douglas Island, and that's where I live. And it's just a quarter mile over a bridge that you can drive to. And so I kept it to my island. I didn't want to drive all over town. Um, and it's just, those are the people, I think maybe 10 people signed up at on that one day. And then I put some signs up like at the post office or something and a couple people um, signed up. And so it was pretty small and manageable. Interesting. Yeah. And I know Juno, you can't access it by road. It's either plane or boat or something. But how did you turn that small pilot program? You said you took a, a break in between when your, your son was very young. How did that um, transition into your, your business? And if you could just talk about, you know, how much you're charging your residential subscribers and how the whole bucket swap system works if you are doing bucket swaps. Yeah, sure. So um, basically it was just kind of, I'm going to start small and see where I go. I didn't have a vision of, you know what, I want composting to be my full-time job and I want to service my whole community. It was just, I'm one person and I'm just going to see what I can do and where this goes. And um, I, I guess I was in the lucky position where uh, I have a husband and my husband makes enough money that I could afford to not work. We just live a very modest lifestyle. And so it was like, okay, we can do without so I can do this project and see where it goes. Um, so I was very fortunate to not have pressure that the compost business had to support my family. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I guess I just made little cheesy flyers and stuck them up on bulletin boards all over town. That's kind of a Juno thing. There's bulletin boards at all the grocery stores and um, the gas stations and stuff. So I just pinned up little black and white cheesy flyers and, um, and people just kind of trickled in. I mean, the first week I delivered three buckets to people and I was like, okay, here we go. And um, so, and that, that was in, in 2017. And um, I really took it as a part-time thing. It was basically, I was collecting one day a week and maybe working another day a week part-time. It was very, very low key. And then in 2018, um, I did this little business, um, I don't know, a, biz a small business course or whatever. And I kind of got inspired to go bigger. Um, and so then I really, and also my son started going to school. So I, I had the opportunity to spend more time on this. Um, and so um, let's see, circling back. So now we have about almost 450 customers, which is, which seems like a lot more, but 
I would like to have way more. I feel like it's been very slow and steady all along the way with little bursts. Um, I haven't quite figured out how to tap into the, the super growth and get beyond those initial adopters um, just because um, Juno has a really low recycle rate. We're somewhere around 5% um, recycling wow. um, and composting just most people don't know that it can work here. And so it's kind of like a, a mental block that the community has. Mm -hmm. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to do community education, um, which, I, which I think is working. Um, Juno Compost is definitely becoming a household name in our town. Um, so I guess getting back to how our system works is we're, we don't do bucket swaps. We, um, everyone has their own personal bucket and we are dumping those containers into our containers in our truck. Um, and for businesses, some of them we do that and some of them we do a bucket swap because it wouldn't really make sense to go into um, a deli and dump out their 10 buckets and then leave them with 10 dirty buckets in their kitchen. And so for businesses, we are swapping buckets, but for residential, we're just dumping buckets at the curb. Okay, wow. And um, as far as, you know, getting over that initial hump, I think 450 customers is amazing though for such a small community um but getting over that hump of the early adopters have you considered maybe talking uh, forming a relationship with your local officials or the city and kind uh, of yeah i definitely have a relationship with them um i guess you could say i'm one of those people that believes that the government isn't going to solve our problems um i i've joined Join the local sustainability commission, which is an advisory board for our city assembly. And um, so I've been working through there to work on the education component and mostly educating the assembly on these, these are our shortcomings in waste management. And this is what other communities are doing. And um, as the capital city of Alaska, um, which they often like to say um, is that we need to be a modern city. And so trying to introduce the zero waste concept um, um, to the municipality is kind of been my work of the last year. Um, and the, the fact that they have as a municipality been saying since the late nineties that they should start a compost pilot program, but they haven't 30 years later doesn't give me very much hope. And so I'm still working with them, but I don't believe that they are the solution. I believe that the private sector is the solution. Yeah, I totally see that. And, um, you know, it's just my hope that, you know, with enough urgence, uh, maybe you, you know, you get your 450 customers to kind of put the pressure on indirectly on, on the city officials and they began to start to listen to the numerous voices. But, you know, you know, you have been doing this for a while and of course you probably know the dynamics uh, much better. So, um, and what do you use for your carbon component? I read on your website, you use yard waste, is that right? Um, well, we have, we collect some yard debris, but I wouldn't say that's like our carbon source. Um, we just run a drop off yard 
that's self-serve. People prepay online and then they can come and drop off their yard debris. Um, and I mostly manage that separately. I mean, if somebody comes in and brings a bunch of um, like goat manure and straw, I'll definitely scoop that out as a prize. But yard debris is pretty much managed um, in its own system because I can leave that outside. I don't have to be covering it like the food scraps. It doesn't require the same amount of management that food scraps does. Um, so I kind of like keep that to a grinder or something. Uh, you no, just I don't. Grinder, um, you know, the equipment wish list is just so much longer yeah. than the zeros on the bank account. So um, um, for carbon, I'm using mostly wood chips, which is, um, that's brought to me by companies that are trimming trees uh, under the power line. So they have contracts to just be trimming power line trees all summer long. And then there's a few other companies who just do tree removal services. Um, and bring their chips to me. And then um, I also pay to have horse manure hauled. We have two horse stables. And so I pay to have that hauled to my site. And then- I'm um, just curious do... on, that, on that topic, because we have a lot of horse stables here in Orange County. And I've had that thought as well is like, what would it take to pay a truck driver uh, to haul a container over to my composting site of horse manure and bedding. How did you work that out? Um, well, it's kind of a little contentious issue. It was a several years in the making, um, which sounds so crazy. Like it takes a, it takes a couple years to get horse manure that was before this getting landfilled. Right. And, and I'm very close to our landfill. And so you would have thought it would it would be an easy thing. They're paying to truck it to the landfill. They could just pay to truck it to me instead. Um, but it turns out that um, once it appeared that somebody wanted their manure, it became valuable. And so mm. I have to pay the trucking fee to have it trucked to me. And and so that's just a logistics mm. issue. Just you know, calling up a trucker and, and they about come and bring how many dollars per cubic yard of manure do you pay? just to give everyone an idea? Um, that's a good question. Um, it's really hard for me to estimate yards based on their dump trucks because they'll say, oh, this is a 20 yard truck. And I look at the pie and I'm like, that doesn't look like 20 mm -hmm. yards to me. Um, so I, I'm not exactly sure, but um, like here trucking rate is $120 an hour. Oh, okay. So um, whatever fits in the truck, if they're coming in a five yard truck, if they're coming in a 20 yard truck, I'm just paying $120 an hour. I don't really have say which truck shows up. I just, it's whatever I can get. I'm kind of at their mercy. Yeah, cause that manure and the bedding especially is a amazing carbon component. It's usually like pine shavings or wood, um, you know, wood shavings. Um, and just the manure is like the perfect carbon to nitrogen ratio. It has moisture. A lot of stables use deworming medication, but you know, I can link a couple papers in the show notes that prove that after the thermic composting process, a lot of that harmful uh, medication is kind of like nullified to some well, degree. And one thing I like to remind people of is I, I personally don't eat industrial meat, 
but if you eat industrial meat, there, there are hormones and, and yeah. antibiotics that are given to those things that you're eating. And if you're more concerned about your plants having compost that has those things than you are about eating them, um, there's kind of a disconnect there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, not consistent. <laughs> so yeah. And um, just curious, how much do you charge your residential subscribers for the you're very similar to Suncoast Compost here in Tampa, where you empty your buckets into the into a larger container in your truck. Um, but uh, what is your rate? And do you do biweekly pickups or just weekly? Uh, we do just weekly pickups. Um, and that just seems like logistically easier to manage in my mind. And also just for the gross factor, I couldn't imagine, you know, a lot of people say, well, I won't have a full bucket. And it's like, well, you'll still want to get rid of that stuff and not hoard it for several weeks is kind of what I think about, like trying to make the experience as pleasant as possible um, and as, as non-gross as possible is pretty important to me. And so I've had people ask, but I just say, you know what, we do weekly and it, you'll enjoy it much more. Um, so our base rate is $25 for a month. We don't adjust for five month weeks. It's just $25 a month. Um, but we do have uh, a, a, an option to get yourself a lower rate and we call that a hub. And so, and that's $17 a month. And what you do is you reach out to your neighbors and get them to sign up as well. And you all put your buckets out at the same spot. So you would be a hub host and your neighbor from each side is bringing their bucket and putting it out in your driveway. And so we just have one spot where we're stopping, but we're collecting multiple buckets from that stop. And those people just pay $17 a month each. They each get their own bill. They don't have to interact with each other after they form the hub and just decide this is where we're putting our buckets. Um, and that's been a really popular um, program for me, for that's sure. And awesome. it's kind of, it's been good because I, I wanted to make it financially accessible for more people, but it's kind of, I think, come back to bite me a little bit because there are a lot of people I know who could afford the $25, but they like the community building aspect of mm -hmm. it. And then they have that rate, that reduced rate forever, even though they would be happy to pay 25. And so I do kind of wonder about the longevity of, um, of doing that. But, um, but people are really excited. So it's, it's hard to take away something that people are excited about. Um, and yeah. so since then, I've, I've moved sites from where I initially started and I'm in a more central location now. So I do have drop off. And so that is $15 a month and that's mm -hmm. a self-serve um, sort of thing. And so that's kind of our, our lowest priced option for people. Gotcha. And you said that's a, it's a three person minimum for the compost hub. That's what we try to shoot for. Um, but some people go, go, no, I mean, there's one hub that there are probably 15 people dropping off at this person's house. And that person, it's kind of funny because that person has since built their own compost bin at home, but they are so stoked that they let everybody bring their um, buckets to their house for the hub anyway. Wow. That's so cool. And then the person I assume just that you pick it up and leave their bucket and people know when to go back to get their empty bucket. 
to the comp. Yeah, people tend to, um, they either use a Sharpie and write their name on their bucket, or a lot of people dress them up with stickers so they know what bucket's theirs. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I like that idea. And I've been thinking of the same thing because route density is really important for the cost effectiveness of this service. And yes, I have been, people have reached out to me saying that our rates are a little out of their range, but I'm glad you highlighted, you know, the downside to that, um, you know, people's willingness to pay may be a little bit higher. And, you know, obviously that's never a bad thing to sustain your business. So um, yeah, that that's really interesting. And do you do compost givebacks to your residential um, subscribers? I did the first couple of years and it was very apparent that that was just not gonna work. Um, just the work for sifting and bagging and then delivering the material back. The, delivering the material back wasn't that big of a deal because we just do it as we were doing our collections. But um, I mean, I didn't pay myself a single dime the first three years that I did this. And um, it, it was clear that give backs were not gonna work. And so people, people were not upset when I said, hey, you're not gonna get free compost. This is our last time doing it, but in the future you'll be able to buy it. Like nobody was upset about that. Um, I think but people you... realize free, free things are, are hard to be actually free. Yeah, it's true. And that is a, we give back 20 pounds every six months and it is a huge pain. But um, yeah, I, I would, I'm just a little bit fearful of pulling that back. But don't you already, you sell compost, so you already are doing some of the sifting and um, screening, right? Yeah. And so this is the first year that I have like an actual screener that doesn't need to be loaded by a shovel and banged uh -huh. on with a toilet brush. So it's not clogging. Um, so things were streamlined, like way more streamlined this year than they have been in the past before I just had, um, like a shaker screen that I had made out of a concrete, um, motor and, um, yeah, it's just slow. You just can't pay yourself enough. I mean, if there's no money to pay yourself in the first place and you're spending endless hours, it just, it just doesn't pencil out. And that's just kind of one thing that really, I guess, settled in my mind a couple years ago was that, you know, if I'm just doing all of this for free and not paying myself, the people don't realize that my favor of sitting out you know, some family picnic or sit, you know, just all of the things I'm personally sacrificing from my life. They don't realize that you're doing that. They think you're a business and things pay for themselves. And if you're giving it back, it just works into your revenue um, and, and just the money works out. And so it doesn't really do you a favor as a business owner to do a favor when you're, when your customers don't even know the favor that they're getting. Right. Yeah, it is a huge sacrifice. And yeah, maybe I need to reconsider that. Or I think what Bootstrap Compost does when people sign up or every give back period, people need to like reach out on their own and ask mm -hmm. for the compost. So it's not like a default service, like included in the service. Um, but yeah, speaking of screens, we're in the process of 
pricing out the materials for a much larger composting site for ourselves. What do you suggest besides the, you know, hand-fed trommel that, um, like you said, is just not going to cut it when you're dealing with, you know, larger uh, quantities of compost? What is the mid-level screen that you suggest? Um, well, I just bit the bullet and I bought this Siddler, the smallest screen that Siddler makes. And so it's a trommel and you can load it up um, there's a hopper that you can load up with a skid steer bucket. So my skid steer is a half yard bucket. Um, and so that's, they're matched appropriately size wise. And so um, it's gas powered. I, there's an electric one, but I don't have electricity at my site or water, um, which is kind of challenging. Um, so yeah, it's just gas powered and, uh, but it is a lot of money and it was a lot of money shipping to Juno is a nightmare. And so um, when I thought I had the money for the, the sifter a year ago, and then I got the quote to ship it here, it took another year to squirrel away of the shipping money. But um, yeah, I, I would say I, there were definitely some learning curves. I had immediate buyer's regret on the Siddler. But once I really learned how to use it to not just dump too much compost in at once, once I, I, I figured out the nuances of it, uh, I was sold. I was like, I cannot, I could not imagine not having this piece of equipment. Yeah. And um, just, you know, this may be a personal question, but have you dipped into your personal finance to pay for some of the equipment and to pay for like the business? Because this is something I'm struggling with myself as a business owner. Yeah, so in the beginning, um, I used my personal, I had some land, and so I was using my own personal land. I happened to have a backhoe, and so I was using my own ancient backhoe um, that was more of a hazard than anything, um, and my own personal truck, um, which is also ancient and falling apart and my own personal tools. And I used a little bit of money to buy um, some canvas carport shelters. Um, and then after that initial um, buying those shelters and a few little tools, the bank accounts became totally separate and none of my personal money ever goes into the business at all. And so it took several years of revenue from the business paying for everything it needs. And then by year three, Finally, I was able to start paying myself, which yeah. is amazing. And even though it's a very modest wage, it feels really good. And it it is also just kind of helped me legitimize the business. And it's like, okay, yes, this is in fact going to work as a business. And it's um, only going to get better from here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I like to hear that because um, I did the same. Like I started with a lump sum a few thousand dollars and I just haven't touched it since and I think that's important uh, just so you don't face that burnout and you don't undermine your own value as a person. As you start to take on more food scraps you realize very quickly that you need a better composting system to process the material. This is why I highly recommend the aerated static pile micro bin designed and made easy by O2 Compost. In 60 days, I have finished compost without putting in the labor of turning the pile. The piles heat up to over 140 degrees, killing pathogens, weed seeds, and fly larvae, making the end product safe to use in the garden.
With 32-plus years of experience in the compost industry, Peter Moon, owner of O2 Compost, is a leading expert in the field of ASP composting. I encourage you to set up a free half-an-hour consultation with Peter Moon by going to his website, www.o2compost.com. That's the letter O, the number 2, compost.com. If you mentioned that you heard about O2 Compost on this podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount on the purchase of the Microbin Compost Training Program. So, you know, from what I see um, on your Instagram page, like you have a couple part-time employees, but most of it seems to be like coming from you. You, you know, you're kind of, it looks like you're doing everything just from your Instagram, but uh, well, because that's accurate. <laughs> yeah, I've had um, since 2018, I've had one part time employee and it was like one part time employee working one day a week. And then um, last summer, I was also commercial fishing during the summer, which is um, what my family does for real money. And um, so I, my employee was working three days a week and that's doing collections and then the initial processing the material, mm-hmm. um, but not doing any of the turning or, or anything, you know, the emailing or anything else. I mean, I've always done all that. And then um, a couple months ago, I lost my employee and then I couldn't find anyone for several months. It was very frustrating working 80 hours a week with zero days off for two straight months was kind of a nightmare and also just kind of a wake up call to myself at how fragile your business can seem at times. Um, but luckily I was able to hire someone three weeks ago and um, I, I just feel this huge burden off of my shoulders. Um, so yeah, may, it seems like manual labor is something that not not that many people are into. And, and I think Juno is kind of unique in that um, 40% of all jobs here are government, either through federal, local, or state. And all of those jobs pay $25 an hour with full benefits and paid days off. And so it's really hard to compete with that. Um, and I pay $18 an hour, which I feel like is kind of fair. I mean, it's a job that anyone can just come to as long as you have a clean driving record and you want to work. I mean, you could just show up and, and get trained and, and be, and you don't need any special skills when you come. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of a challenge. And also I look at, um, other composters who run off of volunteer systems and I'm so envious um, especially like Red Hook in New York. I, you know, when I visit, I was just mind blown at how many people volunteers come again and again and again. And I, I kind of think that it works there because that's how people get their connection to nature. Whereas in Juneau, everybody is going boating and fishing and mountain climbing and rock climbing and ice climbing. And, and we're just in nature. We're a very concentrated city but you literally walk 50 yards and you're um, in the wild. And so everybody is recreating to get their connection to nature. Nobody really wants to volunteer and work. That's so funny. I was going to ask you about, you know, sustainably sustainability driven volunteers, because we get a lot of requests as well. And, um, but that makes complete sense is, 
people here in Orlando, which is a, a sprawl and it's very, it's like a concrete jungle. They're starved of that natural component in their lives. So yeah, that definitely helps um, with our volunteer, you know, number of volunteers we get. That is unfortunate about the, the lack of interest on the job front. Um, yeah, the pandemic definitely hasn't helped things like it's been chaotic the last bit. So, um, so I was wondering, uh, have you ever reached out for a grant or anything along those lines? I know that USDA grant just came out and probably everyone and their grandmother who's into compost is going after that right now. Yeah, and in our city did apply. I worked with them on the application for that last year and it was gonna be a pilot program for getting composting in the schools. And then, um, yeah, we obviously didn't get it and our schools didn't even meet all year. Kids only started going to school in March um, for us. There was no in-person learning, so it wouldn't have worked anyway. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, everything that I've tried to find is that grants are not for businesses. And when I've reached out to the city in the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, you're, you're for profit. And so why, why would we work with you? And basically being told that, you know, if I was to change and become a nonprofit, then I would have lots of doors opened for me. And that kind of seemed frustrating in that, if I felt like there were people who could run this as a nonprofit and be on a board and make informed decisions, I, I feel like I might be willing to go there. But that's the whole problem is that there aren't people who are qualified or, or want to be on a board. And I also, in working with the Sustainability Commission, that's a board, I find it very restricting. It's just kind of stifling because you can't really see something that needs to be done and do it right away. And that's, that's kind of the, the kind of person I am. It's like, today's my, here's my to-do list and I'm gonna start on it right now. And I don't wanna have to talk about it for three months before I start the to-do list. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why I've chosen to remain a for-profit even though there is no profit. Um, there's just yeah. now paying me, there's no extra cushion. Anything that's extra goes into buying the next piece of equipment. Um, yeah, and... I kind of hate how we're kind of us for profits are kind of lumped in with other for profits, even though we're social enterprises, you know, we're not out here trying to sell the city like car insurance, or we're not trying to sell our customers like a lawnmower or something or a vacuum. We're actually trying to like make a and uh, the environment a better place and recycle a lot of solid waste, which then goes extends the life of the landfill. And, you know, we're doing the city and the municipality a lot of good by existing. And we have gotten that same attitude here in Orlando, Orange County. But at the same, like, you know, commission, like the sustainability director doesn't want to get too close and comfortable with us, uh, of course, but at the same time, they, they realize that it can't be all done by the public sector. So um, without that realization, it would just be like 
snail's process. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, and Juno's kind of unique um, in many ways. So I keep saying that, but there are all these little different things that um, kind of come together and why things are like they are. And that is our city does not provide trash service. It's not bundled into your taxes. They don't own the landfill. They don't do collections. It's not a, considered like a utility or anything. And so our landfill is privately owned by waste management. Um, you know, which is a $15 billion company. And then all our hauling is, um, is controlled. So in our community, there is one collection certificate issued by the state. And so it's a, basically a sanctioned monopoly. And so that's something that's been hard for the city to overcome because basically Wait, they so can't offer a second option. The state only allows one hauler in the whole state? No, in the whole city, in our city. Oh. And so it's based on different regions. And so in oh. our community, Juno has 30,000 people, um, but we typically get, you know, a million and a half visitors a year. We're a tourist mm -hmm. um, destination. Um, and so 30,000 people live here. And so there is only one certificate for trash collection. Got it. Um, like an exclusive and, franchise agreement. And waste management yeah. is the hauler there? No, waste management owns the landfill and um, a different company, Alaska Waste, um, which has is like a, I don't know what you call it, a franchise. They, they have places all over the state. They're basically doing all the hauling all over the state. Um, and so they're the only ones who can collect trash. Mm. And then there's only one place for it to go. And that is the privately owned landfill. Mm. Um, and the way that I'm able to haul in the beginning, I didn't think I was able to haul. And so I was calling it a compost processing service. And so I would say I process compost and I just happened to pick it up from you for free. And then since then doing some, some digging and working with, um, the part anyway, um, I've learned that recycles are not managed in the same way as trash. And so if you call your food scraps recyclables and not trash, then you can be a hauler. And so that's what I do. Yeah, I mean, it's very important the definitions written into the code and organics or food waste, if you're picking it up to compost, I definitely see it as a recyclable and not, um, you know, refuse. So that, yeah, I'm glad you told us that story because I highly encourage all community composters to read their city or state ordinance and kind of figure out where they stand. My first year and a half here in Orlando, I knew full well that we were violating the city ordinance. Um, the city itself had their own salt waste department and they're the only ones, again, a monopoly. They were the only ones who could pick up any solid waste, including food waste, recyclables, you name it. But <clears throat> we uh, kept going, you know, kind of under the radar. We get a, the mayor and a couple other high profile people in the city to become subscribers. And um, excitingly enough, when push came to shove, we, we, we got uh, large enough to the point where the city was either, they had to make a decision. 
we need to either shut down O-Town Compost for good or we need to uh, change our city ordinance to allow them to pick up organics. So the mayor stepped in because he likes our service and um, they're now it's in the attorney's office and they're changing the city ordinance, which I thought was awesome. Nonetheless, you know, we're still going to have to, that means now we have to go through the permitting process, probably pay an annual fee, make sure, you know, everything, all the T's are crossed, I's are dotted. But yeah, I just wanted to tell that story because right now the laws are so archaic and uh, comp composting is not seen as separate from refuse in a lot of cases. There's no laws in the first place. So how is your relationship with waste management in Alaskan waste? Um, well, I, I guess I don't really have a relationship with them. I mean, several years ago, we did um, do a leaf collection um, spot at the landfill. And so the city kind of helped um, bridge us together there because I, I was still operating my facility way out of town and so it didn't make sense for people to bring their leaves to my site um, and the city um, for recycling they operate contracts to private businesses to execute their recycling goals and so the city run recycle center is actually contracted out and managed by waste management and so anyway so so we did a leaf drive there one year um and and that's kind of the extent of how i've interacted with them we're just different players in different games yeah interesting um so yeah it seems like your processing operation is you know very going very well and you're producing compost, you just, the spring is here, you just spent the last month fulfilling a ton of or orders. Um, you know, what is your composting site or your process like and what kind of products do you produce? Um, so we're on about half an acre and it's a flat gravel pad. It's, it's not exactly ideal, it's really long and skinny. Um, but that's just the site that we've been able to lease that's kind of closer to town. Um, and so we do, um, I have these shelters that are just like these shelter logic carports basically, and they're 20 feet deep and 13 feet wide. And then I line them with pallets on the inside. And some of them have huge concrete blocks on the back. And then that's where stuff is initially processed. So when we come in, we're backing our truck into the bay. We have a pad of wood chips down. We're taking you know, all the data, the weights and everything, volumes, writing that on a data sheet. And then we pitch everything out the back of the truck and then drive away. Can I just interrupt you one sec? Do you have like a truck scale or how do you weigh that? Um, we just have, it's kind of like a postal scale and we're putting containers on oh, there. Okay. Um, when we, I'm kind of lucky because I'm at the base of a gravel pit. And so there is a drive on scale. And so when we're doing large loads from like the breweries and distilleries, where it's just big truckloads of just their stuff, mm -hmm. then we get to use a drive on scale, which is pretty rad. Awesome. Um, 
so okay so circling back so then we use the um, skid steer to bring in all of our carbon stuff that we pile on there we mix it in place and then stack it in that bay and so each day we're we're still in that bay we're just kind of coming out until that bay is full and um, we use compost text covers to keep it covered and then when the bay is full, we just start doing that in another bay. And so we have it so that there is always one bay free. And when it's time to turn, it's not so much turning as in we're scooping it from one bay and stacking it into an empty bay. And can then, I, can I um, interrupt you again? This is all very fascinating, but do you have any techniques for the mixing process to make sure you get that kind of even blend um, well, we, we start with laying a pad of wood chips down. We put all of the foods. So we're collecting, uh, a thousand to 1700 pounds at a time. Typically that's excluding the breweries. They add a lot more, um, on the days where we pick up from them. But when we're doing the residential routes, it's usually, yeah, a thousand to 1700 pounds. And so we just stack all that at once. And then we're adding our carbon on top. And then we just come in and take a scoop. Um, at the very bottom, lift it and drop it. And it's just kind of raining down. And we just do that over and over again until everything looks like um, granola. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, nice and trail mixy. Um, awesome. So yeah, you, you're not really, you said it's, it's not sitting on, it's not ASP. No, right? no, we, we don't have electricity. We couldn't run solar because we live in a rainforest. It rains, you know, 275 days a year. It's, you know, white skies all the time. Um, so yeah, so we're basically, we're building our piles with lots of wood chips so that we have passive aeration during the first step. And so once, once a bay is full, we let it sit for probably three weeks so that the stuff that's in the very front of the pile has had three weeks to sit there and then we're doing the scooping and piling it in another bay and then we you know we're adding biofilter finished compost to the top of that when we turn it that first time and then from there it's the turning from bay to bay is a lot faster of a process but we wait you know a good three weeks to a month before we turn it that first time um, just to make sure more food scraps than that are completely gone um, and so we turn from bay to bay several times. And then the last time it gets turned out, um, not in a bay, just open air. Mm. And um, we also use compost text on every, we use it on everything, whether it's in a bay or whether it's in open air, we use compost text. We live in a rainforest. And so it would just become a waterlogged mess mm. um, if we and didn't. And that's that. that breathable fabric that repels yeah if you have it in the right shape it sheds the water and um but yeah it can breathe and it also keeps you know birds and squirrels and things from coming and um digging through stuff too that's very interesting and the final product it's a would you say it's like a black crumbly compost or um um well since we've been using a lot more manure it's brown um oh, okay. before we use manure when we were using mostly leaves and moss we use a, so we live in a rainforest so we have lots of moss and so that's also a big carbon source for us is when people are thatching their lawns 
or just, I mean, moss will grow on your car if you don't drive your car for a couple of weeks. So there's just moss everywhere. And so in the spring, we do a big moss collection at our site and it's free for people to bring their moss there. And in the fall and, and spring, people are bringing leaves. Um, and so when we were using mostly that as our carbon, our compost was black, but now that we're using a lot of manure, it's more of a brown color. Um, and we're sifting at three eighths and I'm kind of wondering if I should buy another screen and also go quarter inch. I might do that. Uh, so a little bit smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just using a lot of wood chips and, and, you know, pieces that are long and skinny fall through and um, thinking about making, so getting to the products that we make, we sell sifted compost, three eighths, and then we sell our overs as a mulch, we call it composty mulch. And so it's a lot of those wood chips and avocado pits, but it also has lots of compost that's stuck to it. And so we sell that mostly bulk. Um, and then this year was our first year doing blends. And so we had a seed starting blend and we had a potting mix blend. And those, the seed starting blend, we were mix, mixing the coconut choir and um, vermiculite, our compost, and then an organic fertilizer. Um, and then our potting mix is peat, perlite, sand, compost, and organic fertilizer. Wow, that's awesome. And how is one woman able to do the collection, the processing, all this stuff? Uh, I don't know. I'm a beast, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you really um, are. yeah, I don't. I don't sleep very much, and I've kind of always thrived on that. I think that's why I liked commercial fishing so much because you were working. 21 hours and you'd pass out for three and you'd do that for seven days and then you'd go home and sleep for 24 hours and then do it again. Uh, and I always really liked that uh, when other people um, don't thrive in that situation. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I just put my head down and I really like manual labor and I really like that composting is manual labor, but then there's also lots of things you really have to think about Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I like the combination of the two. Um, and when I do sleep, I sleep really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. Wow. Yeah, you really are killing it out there all on your own. And, you know, I know you have a part-time employee, but it sounds like you're doing a lot at once. Um, you know, and what you know, gets you out of bed and makes you continue this fight against food waste. I know you're an active member in the Community Composting Coalition, and I, I am sure you've been in, in contact with uh, Institute of Local Self-Reliance. But I think, um, yeah, I would love to know what, what drives you to keep doing this and what are you working towards? Um, well, I guess I'm working towards trying to get to the tipping point where composting is um, considered normal, you know, just like paper recycling is considered normal in every office. Um, I just think that um, since organics make up such a large chunk of the solid waste pie, it's kind of like baffles me that this hasn't been addressed sooner in the recycling scheme of things right. and it's what I really like about it is like any person can literally do this form of recycling on their own 
in their yard or through a service like me, I mean, anybody can, can eat the apple, put the core in and then take the compost out and then put it in their garden. And there's just this really local connection you have to your food and to your waste. Whereas, you know, recycling a plastic bottle isn't very exciting. You put it in a bin and you cross your fingers and you hope that something good happens to it. And maybe it'll be a park bench. Um, it, it's just not very exciting to me. Whereas, um, yeah, the, the, the very closed loop system, the very local system is all really exciting to me. And also I thought I was gonna be a farmer when I grew up. I mean, that's what I said at kindergarten graduation, I'm gonna be a farmer. And I grew up in a farming area in Maine um, and I just kind of got sidetracked. I came to college here and I just kind of stayed by accident. And there are no, there's no farming here. There are a couple of people who are running farms, but it's like I started out, like they've been running for many years, but it's not their income, it's more of a hobby. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because we live in a challenging place. I mean, mm -hmm. kale and lettuce and, and peas and potatoes and carrots do okay here. Mm -hmm. But when your summertime temperature is 60 degrees, you know, it's really hard to grow a lot of foods that um, you can grow elsewhere. And so for me, um, kind of being a dirt farmer was the only option I had to be a farmer in Juneau. And so um, that's where I am. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And um, yeah, th I think that I'm on the same path trying to change the culture of how people think about organics recycling. You're right. I mean, if, if you're thinking from like a municipality standpoint, what is more impactful and has a greater, um, you know, per dollar impact recycling the single stream material which is very lightweight doesn't make up that much of what's going to the landfill and it you know it gets shipped across the ocean to china remanufactured and shipped back or community composting which keeps the 50 percent of what's going to the landfill uh, out of the landfill and it stays local it creates local jobs you know, improves local soil health and kind of supports the food system locally. So um, it all makes complete sense to me. But, you know, I feel like I'm crazy sometimes talking to these city officials. So yeah, I think we're at the tipping point. I think things are really changing. Um, just the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, um, they're um, I forget what it's called, the, the big forum that they put on. Uh, I went to it in 2019 and just came away feeling so not crazy because you're with your people and there's yeah. people doing this all over the country. And it was very validating to be there and also humbling and also inspiring and just seeing how many different ways it can be done even on the community level. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's, it's just amazing. And I really love that group and what they do. Yeah, they're doing great things. And, you know, I just hope that community composters can really push the envelope, really start targeting the, you know, the whole pie, the all the organic waste and start diverting, you know, numbers like you're doing there in, in Juno. But other than that, um, 
Lisa, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on. And uh, this has been a really inspiring interview. So best of yeah, luck. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for doing all of these. I always look forward to hearing about other composters all over the country. Yeah. Well, take care. Have a good rest of the evening. Yep. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. If you enjoy the Community Composting Podcast and want to support future episodes, please follow the link in the episode show notes to give a small monthly reoccurring donation, even if it's $5 to $10 a month. We'll continue to come out with killer content to keep the grassroots movement rolling.